Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very, very special, not yet surprising, or no longer surprising, mailbag edition, unless you're a new listener, in which case it is surprising. Congratulations. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for our special Sunday mailbag edition. The, the inside joke there, of course, is that, well, it was supposed to be a bonus episode for a while and then it became so regular that it's just expected these days, so... You have us here. And when I say us, I mean me, Scott Phillips, and my colleague, my partner in crime, my good mate, Anirban Mahanti. How are you, Doc? I'm good. I'm the, I'm the criminal, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, I just that, actually, didn't I? In, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can't, can't be good crime, can it? Uh, yeah, it's good crime, bad crime. Yeah, it's all, all the same. In, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We probably shouldn't joke about that, actually, given that we're in the financial service industry. Exactly. It's <laughs> a bad my, joke. My, my, my partner in all, all good things, <laughs> kittens <laughs> and sunshine and rainbows. Yes. Anirban Mahanti. Mate, uh, <laughs> Let's try and escape desperately from that. Yeah. Pour our way back to some sort of normalcy and go with a question from Mitch. Um, thank you, everyone, for their questions, by the way, and your comments. I will let you know how you can ask those in a little bit. But for now, let's start with Mitch, who says, Good afternoon, El Presidente. He says, a catchy title for another recent listener. Well, it is. And again, I'm more than happy to be the um, benevolent dictator of Australia if anyone wants to vote me into the job. But uh, I'm not sure it's going to be particularly likely. Yeah, there's a little bit of a problem. You What's can't that? be a dictator, even if benevolent. Right. By voting. Well, I, I can take over dictator once they vote me in. You, first you to get voted in, and then you can basically abolish everything. Right, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the plan. Okay. Yeah, that can yeah. work. Okay, okay vote, vote for Scott. There you go, vote one. Scott mm-hmm. Phillips for El President. <laughs> it's, it's like, I like El President too, because kind of that Spanish thing, it gives you that kind of, it reminds you of the South American kind of, you know. The permanent El President. <laughs> totally, totally. All right. Mitch says, just touching base on your recent episode about investing super in equities without starting an SMSF. This isn't a question, it's more a comment, but I appreciate it. Thanks, Mitch. He says, I believe you mentioned there was limited to no, uh, limited to no options, in other words, not many or none, to do so outside ASX 200 companies without creating a self-managed super fund. I recently reviewed my options to do this as my accountant advised an SMSF wasn't a great solution for my current balance amount. So I thought I'd share the findings with you and all the fools as I too was really keen to manage my own portfolio without being stuck with the ASX 200. The best option I found was a net wealth product. Uh, and he gives me, a, he gives me a URL. I'm not going to read that out because uh, God love him, but I, <laughs> reading out URLs on, on, uh, on audio was not the world's best experience. So it's called Super Accelerator Plus is the end of the URL. So I imagine if you fire up the Google machine and Google net wealth Super Accelerator Plus, he says that allows me to access all ASX companies plus overseas stocks as well. There were a couple of other companies offering similar solutions, but this one offered the broadest selection. He says, and the allowable portfolio weighting is available online for anyone to review of interest. I'm currently managing my own portfolio in and out of super, plus building my kids' portfolio, all with the help of Extreme Opportunities and Share Advisor. Thank you, mate. That's awesome. Thanks for the excellent recommendations. He says, support and education to assist in this world of unnecessary complexity, confusion, and greed in the super and investing worlds. Thanks to you and the doc for an epic podcast each week. Also, cheers from Mitch. Mitch, that's awesome. Thank you, mate. Uh, thanks for the kind words as well. We really appreciate it. But uh, we want to share that because like, I don't, I haven't used NetWealth as a product. I believe it's a company you're reasonably familiar with, doc, but I don't think you're familiar with the product as a user, are you? Actually, I'm not familiar with the product, okay. but that product sounds interesting, so I'll check it out. It does. So, uh, uh, yeah, we, we're not going to endorse it directly. Mitch is using it and likes it. So that's good news and it's probably almost good enough for us, but we will stop short of saying you guys should do it. But certainly if you're looking for an option that may help you manage your super, 
um, this net wealth product might be an option. As always, check the fees, check the conditions, check the charges, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're looking for an option, this one might be more cost effective than an SMSF. I would say for what it's worth too, uh, Mitch, I really like your accountant saying, hey, don't do it yet. Um, I'm not sure by the way you shouldn't do it. Uh, that's a different question. But in this day and age, as you say, of, of greed and misdirection in the financial services industry, so many accountants, and I won't, I won't tell them all on the same brush because it's absolutely not fair, but there are some out there who will desperately try and get their clients in on SMSF so they can charge audit fees and administration fees and other things. So um, good on your account for doing the right thing. There's more good guys than bad guys, um, but I would be the first to say our industry has its more than its share of bad guys and girls, and um, and please be careful as you as you navigate this financial world. But the net wealth product sounds pretty attractive, and as you said, it's called Super Accelerator Plus. So Google that and see if it's right for you. All right, next question comes from... <laughs> A Twitter account called Little Miss Hairy Legs, which I appreciate. And there's a photo of a dog there, so I'm going to assume it's a, it's another dog account. We have had one dog correspondent already, Docs. This is our second dog correspondent. Or maybe Little Miss Hairy Legs has just got hairy legs and she has a dog. I'm not sure. Anyway, she says, Hi, Scott. I have a request for your podcast. I'm wanting to diversify, good choice, but she says into health and medical shares. And I'm wondering if you and the doc could please do your top stock picks in this sector. I'd love to know your views. Now, this is my favorite part of the question. She says, P.S., did I hear Doc say Instagram is for everybody the other day? You almost got him. Hashtag get Doc on Insta. Hashtag Insta influencer. Did you say that, Doc? I didn't say that, I but okay, like maybe I did. Maybe you have to sign up on Instagram. You have uh, to follow through on that promise uh, from the sound of it. Um, well, I can follow through on the other part. And, and, um, Should we do that instead, stock picks? Yeah, I can All talk right. about a couple of do you stocks. Have, do you, so first thing I, I will say personally, you may actually disagree with this, mate, but I, I will say for myself, I don't think you need to buy health and medicine shares just for the sake of it, little Miss Hairy Legs. Um, if they write for you, go for it. I'm, you know, I've said before, diversification is really important, but I don't think investors should have this Noah's Ark approach of two of everything. You don't need two airline stocks. You don't need two banks. You don't need two miners. If they work for you, if you like them, if you think they're going to beat the market with them, by all means, have them and please be diversified. But I wouldn't want you to think you had to buy health and medical shares just because you haven't got any. Um, or even just because you like the industry, right? Liking the industry and actually having finding investable opportunities aren't necessarily the same thing. So I will say that from a broad advice perspective. That being said, in this instance, we actually do like some health stock stocks. So we can talk about them, but I thought it was worth mentioning for our listeners, for, for Little Miss Hairy Legs and for others. Um, don't, buy, don't buy stuff just because it exists. You don't have to have two of everything. Doc, health stocks. Yeah, so like, I mean, uh, I think of health stocks a little bit broadly, right? So health stocks doesn't have to be companies that, you know, make blood products like CSL, you know, not that CSL is a bad company yeah. or anything. Uh, they don't also have to be uh, like, you know, making medicines, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So there could be things like um, um, Volpara uh, Health, yeah, right. which makes software for the health sector, right? So they make software for all, um, uh, that helps with breast cancer screening. Mm -hmm. That's... That would normally get classified as internet stock or information technology, but it's actually really playing in the health sectors, right? Mm. So it's, mm. so if you're looking for that, like, you know, defensiveness that, you know, people yeah, right. try to think of uh, that comes from the health sector, right? And if you're buying a hospital, then the hospital is going to always yeah. be around. Yeah. Uh, it's going to only grow a little bit. Um, here you I think maybe get a little bit of both worlds where you get that stability mm, because, mm. you know, once the product is in, it's unlikely to be thrown out, yeah. a little bit sticky. Yeah. But there's probably more growth there. So that uh, is health your favorite defensive area of the market. Is it fair to say from the way you're talking? Yeah, I won't put words in your mouth, but it sounds to me like you're saying of all the no. options, if you want defensive, this is where to go. No, well, I well, my you know, I I'm not looking. I 
don't look to You're be a defensive, defensive kind of guy. Yeah. Defensive <laughs> kind of I, I also like, you know, like I, I just echo everything that you you said in the very beginning, right? So I wouldn't go, like we generally don't go looking, even at mm-hmm. EOR when I'm building my own portfolio, I don't go looking for a stock in a particular sector, yeah. Yeah. right? If I find a company that's interesting and happens yeah. to be in a certain yeah. sector, well, that's good. Yeah. But that's not the sector is almost mm-hmm. immaterial in that sense. Yes, yeah. right? it is the case often that we actually find lots of attractive companies in the similar sectors because those yeah. sectors can have good ideas. So the fact that you're probably overweighted in software as a service, I would guess, for example, um, not because you're looking for software as a service companies, just because they tend to have attractive economics when you find them. Yeah. And so it's worth, you know, just because we have a few of them doesn't mean the sector itself should be the place you go necessarily. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, you know, so Volpires, you know, we've mentioned this company before. Mm-hmm. Another one uh, um, I'll mention is uh, Nanosonics. Oh, uh, you're going to steal my thunder. Well, I thought I'll, I'll, I said I'll give two. <laughs> now, now, uh, and then I'll leave you on your own to oh, figure out two more. Much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you can find two more. Um, this is the second time you've done this. For, for our listeners who are platinum members, you did this to one of our colleagues <laughs> yesterday too. You deliberately <laughs> gazumped one of our colleagues in it's, a stock it, idea. It's, it's my new fun thing to do. It's, you know, when I know that somebody's going to say something else, then you know you can just steal it. Uh, you know, it's going to be sometimes fun. Uh, it's unpleasant for the other person. I totally <laughs> not understand. But that's that's you the part care. of the fun. That's right. That's part of the fun. So Nanosonics, you know, so they, they make, um, um, you think of ultrasound probes and, mm-hmm. and disinfection of those probes. So they basically have got a new age, new technology um, a machine that does that faster, better, uh, potentially a little bit cheaper maybe. Uh, but yeah, so like, I mean, you know, they have got wide penetration mm-hmm. in NZ. They've got, you know, good penetration in the US and increasing. And, you know, so they have a little bit of a razor and blade model. So they sell you... Um, the razor, which yep. is the 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 trophon machine, mm-hmm. and the blade is really the disinfectant that's used to clean probes. And and once you've sold a machine, then you can sell many many times the yep. the consumable. So this is a very common uh, model mm-hmm. used for used by many medical device makers. Yep. Um, and it's a, it's a really attractive business model, especially if you can find a company early in its growth phase. Um, and I'll say that this company is kind of not. It's it's loved, but not that much loved right now. It's a little yeah, bit out of favor. Oh, yeah, I think it was kind of. I think you know what I think it was. I think all the people who loved Nanosonics have gone and bought buy now pay later stocks. Actually, I think it, it was kind of it was kind of the stock everyone yeah. talked about for a while, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So yeah. So both both actually uh, funny enough, and, and this is funny because you know we are talking about this in this in the context of uh, um, safe stocks yeah. and things like that, yeah. right? So both uh, Nanosonics and Volpa are actually yes. a fair bit yes. off from their uh, for from their recent highs. Like, you know, 52 week highs. If you, I have to, you know, quote a number, but mm-hmm. you know, um, the favorite off. So yeah, so yeah, even defensive, so-called defensive stocks can pull back. <laughs> as an example, but those are the two. But I'm, I'm, nice, I, I am waiting to hear the two that uh, you know Scott is going to come up with now. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit this out later and say Volpara and, and now Sonics first, and then uh, <laughs> and when you say it again, people are like, "Didn't Scott just say?" It? No, I'm kidding. I won't do that. Um, mainly because I'm too lazy to do it. No, look, I I, well, I like Nanosonics a lot. It's a it's a buy for us at Share Advisor. It's one of our active recommendations. I think it's a it's a great stock to own. Um, big opportunity, as you say, mate. Uh, look, I'm not an ethical investor, as I've said many times in this podcast before. Not because I don't want the world to be better, because I don't think it actually helps the world get better. So I don't do it. That being said, it's kind of nice to know that Nanosonics not only is a great business and growing, but it's one of those businesses growing because it's improving the world. It's actually finding a better solution. Um, manual disinfection is far, far less. It's more time consuming. It's far, far less effective than using this Trophon machine. It is now the standard of care in a whole lot of jurisdictions around the world for that reason. So again, you know, I, I like the fact it's doing nice things. It's kind of cool. Um, it's not why I bought it, but it also is to some degree. We, we get a nice, a nice 
correlation there is when you actually have a better way of a better mousetrap literally and you can convince people to a better mousetrap you actually can get more sales because of it right so it's successful not just because it's around it's been around for 50 years and it just happens to have this lock on old school technology it's it's new school technology improving the world because it's reducing hospital and acquired infections which is awesome um, but it's also doing a great job of growing as a result and, and that's kind of nice for everybody so you can feel good about doing good in that case my second one I'll throw you is a company called Cochlear that makes the cochlear implant. Now, this is an expensive stock. It's probably, I think, one of the more defensive stocks. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to be volatile. The share price has been up and down all over the place. So I think one of the biggest misnomers is actually defensive stocks. As much as I asked you about it, Doc, partly tongue-in-cheek because I know you're not a defensive investor. Um, man, Woolies was supposed to be defensive when it fell from 40 bucks to 20 bucks. Banks were supposed to be defensive when they cut the dividends to zero. Um, you, you know, I, I think defensiveness is is massively, massively overdone. Um, even even Sol Pats that I like, and it's probably the one of the safer bottom drawers stocks in the ASX has been as high as 30 and as low as what, 18 in the last maybe two years. Um, so, you know, don't, please don't buy stocks because you think defensive means their share price won't change. It will. I can almost guarantee that. If anyone's selling you defensive stocks, they're trying to sell you. They're not trying to give you a great stock idea. They're trying to, you know, play on your emotions. So um, as much as, you know, there are some companies that have more defensive business characteristics, that's not to say the stock itself won't move around. So Cochlear, expensive stock, um, but it, so it makes hearing implants, right? We know that. And you talk about razor and blade, Doc. This, I feel a bit mercenary in saying this, but the ultimate razor and blade model is literally when you've got a device implanted in somebody's head and you're selling them upgrades to the sound processor that lives outside their body, right? Now that's, I don't mean to sound too callous about that, but if you think about that, if you if you if you see the kids, you know what? Speaking of doing good, if you ever want to pick me up, this is a bit, bit of life advice, jump on YouTube and jump on, you know, child hearing for the first time. There is, there is seriously no, I'm even smiling as I say this, there is no better feeling in the world and watching one of those videos where a kid hears their mother or father it's just it's awesome it will it will it'll bring it to you i promise anyway so um so that's cool cochlear enables that which is awesome but also if you've got a five-year-old who gets a cochlear implant and they're going to have it till they're 80 that's you know talking about, talking about lifetime value of a customer um they're going to keep upgrading their sound processor get the extra gear whatever whatever happens over their lifetime of course they could change and of course you know it's not exactly razor and blade you're not going to get a new blade every week or every month or every year uh, but you've got a lifetime customer. The world is developing and becoming more affluent. There are many, many, many more consumers in the developing world who will get access to cochlear implants in general, as in lowercase c, cochlear, but also cochlear, the company, who is the market leader and the leading um, brand, the leading uh, R&D expertise in the area. So um, I think this is a multi-decade winner. It's probably going to, you know, it won't be the fastest growing stock in any one, two or three years, in almost, almost certainly. Um, but if you think about the sheer length of time this company can grow for, and of course there could be genetic solutions. This is not, again, risk-free. No stock should be set and forget forever. Uh, so keep an eye on it. Uh, but at the moment, I think one of the one of the very best quality companies on the ASX, uh, one of the best businesses. Now, Doc has ba- bagged their financial management in the past, and for good reason. Um, they didn't have enough cash on hand. So that, you know, <clears throat> businesses can always be better, and they've hopefully learned some lessons. But as an operating business, I fully expect this is bigger, better, and still in business 20 years hence. I think that's a, that's a really good place to go if you look for healthcare stocks. Any thoughts on, on my comments on Nanosonics or, or Cochlear, mate? No, but here's the problem. Oh, go for it. You didn't give two. You just gave one. I gave Nanosonics as well. I gave a double up on your Nanosonics pick. Ah, so, so Nanosonics gets now two picks. Something like that. Unless you want to give me another one. I don't, that's, you stole my idea. Um, no. <laughs> I was really hoping you could give another one, but okay. I, I, will, I will mention ResMed in passing for you. There you go. ResMed. R&D okay, there you go. I'm, now I'm happier. Um, ResMed does <laughs> sleep apnea. And again, speaking of societal trends, uh, we're getting older, we're getting fatter, we're sleeping less, we are getting less healthy. 
that means a rise in the incidence of sleep apnea, people who um, literally stop breathing during the night. ResMed is solving that problem. It is a financial winner for the people who use it, including, by the way, companies. They try it on some truckies. They match the accidents better on time performance. Like it's, it's genuinely better for health. It's better for the economy and, and the economics of the people who use it. Um, I think it's, again, a long-term, a long-term growth story because, again, we're getting fatter and, and less healthy in the Western world. And frankly, we're exporting that to the developing world, which is awesome, right? So as, as we're helping other countries become more affluent or they just do it on their own behalf, we're shipping them diseases of affluence like, uh, like sleep apnea. So I think there's a big long-term future for ResMed and for Cochlear. How's that? That that sounds awesome. So basically, now. basically, ResMed is is is, uh, is is planning its growth by making other people sick. Isn't that the thing, right? So literally, that yeah, you, when you when your entire business model is like, yeah, you suckers aren't going to look after yourselves, are you? Like that's it, and you know, and it's right. That's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, for it, that's it, true. It, that's massive true. tangent, but yeah. every time you know, I see somebody, normally a young person who's reasonably fit, say, you know what, macros are going to go out of business because everyone's eating salads these days. I'm like, yeah, right. Oh mate, I've been there before. <laughs> I've, I've seen the way this, you know, and it's that, funny because <laughs> salad bars grow. And Macca's grows as well. It's like, you know what? I, I appreciate that's your worldview and I, I love you for it. Mm. I can tell you there are many, many, many more people who are going to keep eating McDonald's. I was going to say that Macca's is probably going to never go out of business, but never is actually a pretty long time. But oh, mate, it's, about, it's about as close as it gets, <laughs> but it's right? As close as it gets. What puts Macca's yeah. out of business? Maybe, maybe I don't know, a, a replicator like in Star Trek where your Macca's can be, yeah. I don't know, you probably sell the product for it. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. That's the only place which has it. Like, you know, whenever I've gone through its drive <laughs> drive through, like, it doesn't matter what time you're there, it's, it's always oh, yeah. full. Mate, uh, and people are buying salads just quietly. Yeah, and they're not buying salads, right? <laughs> I think a resume's okay for a while. Good question, Ms. Harry Legs. Thank you, for, thank you for the question. I love the, love the Twitter handle too. All right, question from Mick. Actually, I think it's a, it's a comment from Mick, but worth mentioning and I just want to pass on to us some praise because, you know, hey, if we don't say nice things about ourselves, who's going to say it? Mick says, absolutely loved your podcast a couple of weeks ago about mentioning the psychology and mistakes of investing. It is overlooked by most but it's probably the most important. Keep up the great work. Really enjoy listening to you and the doc. Thank you, Mick. I completely agree with you, mate. I think psychology separates the men from the boys. Um, you know, the the fact the average fund investor underperforms the average fund tells you everything you need to know about the fact that we are often our own worst enemies when it comes to investing, keeping the psychology of investing alongside the art of actually picking the stocks and doing that stuff. Super, super important. Any comment on that, mate? Let's move on. Let's move on. Question from Dom. Hi, Scott. When looking at the awesome performance of ShareAdvisor, thank you, mate, and aiming to replicate the same result for myself, what is unclear is whether I should be building towards the 25 or so stocks with equal amounts of money per company or whether I should allocate different sums of money to different companies. The scorecard reflects the performance against the market, irrespective of how much of each company was purchased. My assumption is that the performance of my portfolio in dollar terms will only compare with the scorecard if each company holds an equal dollar percentage of the overall portfolio when starting out, as I am. I understand this will shift over time. As always, I appreciate your and Doc's advice. Thank you. Hashtag go the storm. Obviously an NRL uh, Melbourne Storm fan. Hashtag tick Doc, the new social platform for the new age investor. He's even giving you the tagline, mate. Your own social <laughs> network, your own tag. All you do is just buy the domain and get going now. Tick Doc, the so- new social platform for the new age investor. What do you reckon? Oh, I'll give it a thought. <laughs> Sounds interesting. The, the dancing investor, it's got something to it. If you, can, you, can you do a Tesla dance or an Apple dance or a something else? Dance, you know, twenty second dance again. People Let's buy do a stocks. Nanosonic dance. Nanosonic dance. I like it. Let's do that. 
All right, mate. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the answer to you. Actually, it's a share advisor question, but it is a question that applies to all of our services that we release one recommendation a month, like yours at EO. And I will answer it for myself. I'm not gonna duck the question, Dom. Don't worry. Um, but I'll, I'll get Doc in on the, the question. He's right. The way we manage our scorecards is it assumes that well, we don't actually ever put dollar values against it. But the way the calculations are done, um, we use a numerical average performance. And so to to have replicated it exactly, you'd have to invest the same dollar amount per recommendation each time to match our scorecard results. So Dom's right. If you're going to try and match the scorecard, that's exactly how you would do it. But he's saying, is that what I should do? Now, we can't tell Dom personally what he should do. We can't give personal advice. But how would you be advising someone who is a member of Extreme Opportunities or Share Advisor or one of our other services that that run their operations this way, one stock a month recommendation? How would you think about creating a portfolio as a member of one of those services? Yeah, it's a great question. We actually get this sometimes, and this is a, mm. a good question to have. Um, one of the things I'm going to say first is that you can't actually, if you start today, you can't replicate as such the Extreme Opportunity Scorecard, right? right? Because right. you can't go back in time. Yeah. Um, that, if, you, if you solve that problem for people, oh, you, you if, make a lot, you I can charge a lot more for your service. Oh, if yeah. You yeah. If I could do that, <laughs> if, I could, actually, if I could go back in time, I would not be in a service. I would be very rich. Amen. <laughs> I would be like somewhere else. <laughs> I'd probably be already Mars or Jupiter, so I can't, I can't, yeah. So that, that's that's number one because it's tracking performance from when a recommendation is made, right? And since we can't go yeah, back in time, right. That's right. you can't replicate that. Yeah. What you can replicate is performance from here on, yes. right? And 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 that too. Like so, what? That, that's that's more complex. So what what do I say to people or 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 advice that we have, general advice that we have on for new members is, mm. look, what you want to do is you want to. Think about building a portfolio, mm-hmm. and you want to build a portfolio that say has fifteen to thirty stocks, and again, um, you know more. You could have more if you want, mm-hmm. but you sort of roughly want in that fifteen plus range to get some diversification, and uh, and and sort of you know not just pick. Otherwise, you might land up. You know, if you just pick five, you might pick five one five that don't work, yeah, right. and, and therefore you you know you land up losing money, right? So again, nobody can guarantee that all of their stocks are going to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one. Number number two, we say is that look, um, typically in in any month we would have one idea that we think is what we call the best idea of that month. Mm-hmm. And I, I always caveat that a little bit because if I say that my best idea, you know, because we are not building a portfolio, right? If I if my best idea this month happens to be my best idea next month happens to be the next the best idea the very next right, month right, right, we right. can't do that because right. you know the a that was going to build a portfolio or a service with one <laughs> stock right yep. and you can't buy the same stock again because yep. you'd be overly concentrated right we're not, we're not helping our service we're helping our members we're not helping it's a good point right if, if i mean let, let's pick a company i own you own uh, amazon if amazon you feel like amazon was going to be a three thousand dollar stock by now and it was always the stock you thought had the most promise since 1997 you'd have a service that recommended amazon every night every month is 997 it's not very useful yeah it's over and it would be massively successful right yes, but it's yes. still not very yeah, useful because right. nobody would have <laughs> Follow through on advice, and even yeah, if you did follow yeah, through on yeah. advice, it'd probably be the bad advice because you oh, wouldn't man. want to have a one right. stock portfolio because it could have been instead of being Amazon, it could have been Amazon that didn't work out. Correct, right? correct. So yes, that's yes. that's the other thing. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I think the way I think about it is that we have one new recommendation comes mm-hmm. up, and then we do what we call best buys now, which basically looks at the scorecard and says, well, you know, of all the things that we think are buys, which we think, and when we have a company as a buy, mm-hmm. we believe that on average the across the spectrum of stocks these are going to at least deliver market beating returns i like yeah. to say five years because uh, yes. you know but you know in some services we can say three um three to five years but i like to say five years for for eo just because of the type of companies and the volatility and the size of these companies so you take a five-year view right mm. now uh, 
a simple way is that you can buy the new stock that we have recommended, a new company that we have recommended. Then you can buy from among the three best buys. Now, one of them in our case happens to be the, the most recent recommendation and it's always included by default, mm-hmm. right? And then on uh, on EO, we have what we update this list every, uh, roughly every quarter. We have a conviction list of the 10 of our top ideas, mm-hmm. right? And strange enough, among our top ideas, we also, and actually, we, I think we exclude, that we have two ETFs there as recommendations. One of them we have mentioned here before. Uh, maybe I've mentioned both of them. So we have the Asia ETF and yes. we have the NASDAQ 100 ETF. Yes. And I almost say that, look, you can think of these two as sort of, you know, a core type of thing. You know, uh-huh. you could you could buy these two almost anytime. These are ETFs um, and you can buy them over a period of time and keep adding it's to them. It's kind of a nice one. If, if you didn't have a particularly strong view on what you wanted to buy in any particular month, you had some cash. It's almost a great place to kind of go. You know yeah. what? I'll buy some more of those. Well, yeah. If I love the, if I love this month's recommendation, or I don't, you know, or I've, I've already got lots of it, or something. Um, and you say, well, look, I, I don't want to buy more of that, or I don't want to buy it again. I'll buy something different. Uh, ETFs are great. It's a great, like, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And 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 uh, guess what? Nasdaq and uh, and China mm-hmm. a trade war going on between them. Somebody's going to win, or maybe they both win. Whatever right, is right, the case, right, right. right? You know, you can have your. You don't have to partake in the war mm-hmm. you can you can actually make money from from both uh, which is which is what that basically tries to do basically say well that's good this is good and we buy some of that mm-hmm. and then um, we have a list of 10 companies in yeah, our top 10 right. and i say look there right they may not be in terms when we say have conviction they may not be the biggest winners but on yeah. a risk adjusted basis we think that's a good place to start yes yes right yes. Go on. and Go on, and then over time just add as new ideas mm-hmm. are there new mm-hmm. best buys and house are there and so on and you build your portfolio over time mm-hmm. and when you're building your portfolio think about allocations you know you don't want you, do, you know i always say start small and the reason i say start small is well you know you if you start big and you lose what the last thing I want people to do is mm. I don't want people to start and lose a lot and then never come back. Yeah. Right. So I say start small. It's it's almost the easiest way is to lose a bunch of money and then mm. not continue at the yeah, end of it. Right. right. So well, that's the great thing about investing. If you start young enough, you're putting aside a couple hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, thousand bucks. By the time you've got a portfolio that's much larger forty years later because you've had super contributions, you've got more pay. You know, you want to have learned the lessons early, right? Rather than learning the lessons with lump sums. Absolutely, yeah. So, so that's sort of the way. So, you know, buy buy in a new, buy BBNs, mm. buy from uh, buy from the uh, the highest conviction stocks. The, the mm. and and then you know just basically continue build your portfolio. Over time, you'll allocate a little bit more to some companies uh, based on your preference and understanding and the recommendations, and and you know it'll shape into a portfolio. I, I never hold a steadfast rule that it needs to be this allocation, that allocation. Mm-mm. You know, I think you need to be comfortable with what you do. And as long as you're comfortable, that's fine. Yeah, nice. I like that. I think that's right. I um, So, Dom, that's that's Doc's approach. I, I broadly agree. I think for what it's worth, I've always said that, you know, our standard for our members should be that they could buy the stocks in equal amounts from whatever day they join. And over a long enough time period, they should be able to beat the market. If we're going to beat the market, then we expect that our members can do the same, buying the stocks in equal proportions because that's how we manage our scorecard. And so when we say our average return is this and we beat the market by X, and so far we have, um, we, we want you to be able to replicate that. As Doc said, you can't go back in time, but from this point forward, with every recommendation and then as a group our aim is that you can beat the market they're not portfolios as doc said so we don't we don't supply weightings um and not, that's not necessarily the only way to buy stocks right um so you know do you want to match the scorecard well that's a question for you i think it's a for, for share advisor i think matching the scorecard is, is completely fine if you want to do that i think it's a, a really nice i want to say set and forget because you've got to go and buy the stocks and sell them when we say sell um but it's a really nice way to simply just you know replicate a 
a managed scorecard that we are putting together to try and beat the market. So that, that absolutely can happen. And if you're going to do that, I have no problem with anybody putting regular equal amounts in those recommendations each month. We do make some re-recommendations. That would mean adding more to those those positions sometimes. Um, we sell some, of course, so you'd be selling that. That's absolutely a way you can do it should you choose to. Very hard over time to do that. If you think about, again, my example of starting now versus 40 years time, you're probably going to have more money to put in in, in, in uh, 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, and so you know, try to put the same dollar amount in today as you're going to put in in 10 years time probably unreasonable you're hopefully going to be adding more at that point because you're earning more or you've compounded more or you're getting dividends or something else is helping you build that return so just think about that in terms of the way you build it but conceptually yeah you absolutely could do it that way should you choose um i because of the companies i choose in my personal approach i don't tend to buy in thirds like doc does um i actually agree with him by the way it's a great way to manage your emotions so if it's something that you think you might might help you Starting smalls are great. And it also means you can buy more companies early, right? If you've got, if you've got I don't know, 10 grand to invest and you're buying two $5,000 lots, you can only buy two companies. If you buy $10,000 lots, you're going to get a diversified portfolio super quickly um, with less impact from any individual company on that portfolio. And that's always better, particularly for young investors who are starting out because the last thing we ever want, as Doc says, is we really don't want people put off investing because they've made a loss in their first couple of investments. Um, that can really suck. And if you're buying one company a month for, for a year, it takes you six months to have six companies. Um, obviously, right, by definition. But if you think about that, that means for the first three months, you've got three companies in your portfolio. If one of them falls by 25%, your portfolio falls by 8%. Um, now, again, is that a lot? Not really, but if you've got, you know, three grand in there and they're falling by 8%, well, you're 240 bucks in the hole and you're thinking, hang on, are these guys real? Like, I've just I've just dusted 250 bucks. What, what's going on? So I get it. If you're someone who wants to get started, the other thing we do on, on our service, we use starter stocks. So there's five you can buy when you first start. And we'd say buy those just to get started and then start adding our regular recs. Um, Doc, you've got conviction stocks and other things as well. So there's different ways in different services of doing that. Um, my general advice to our members is when you join, buy the starter stocks, then buy our monthly recs. And that should mean in you know three or four months, you've got almost 10 stocks and you're, you're well and truly on your way. Uh, thanks for the question, mate. Really, really great question. I hope it wasn't too inside baseball for non-members. Uh, hopefully, by the way, because both EO and SA are beating the market, we're giving you a reason to join. Uh, but also, hopefully, it gives you a sense of how we think about building portfolios for ourselves and, and for others. Any more for that, mate? I have nothing to add. Dom did add full on, too, if I didn't mention that. So full on, Dom. Thank you. Colin says, G'day, Scott. Thanks for answering my previous question on the podcast. This one's for you, bud. Could you please ask Doc for his thoughts on Redbubble? You don't have to mention this, but I bought it when it was part of the Pro One portfolio and didn't sell it when the portfolio did. There you go. I did mention it, Colin. I hold based on the previous Motley Fool recommendation, but the service has since sold it, so I'm not getting coverage from Motley Fool. It is 10 bags since the market bottom in March, so I'm interested in Doc's thoughts. Fool on Colin. Colin's done all right, mate. He's done well since March. He's made a lot of money. He's probably there, think, sitting there thinking, well, I've done pretty well, but... Um, <laughs> You know, has, has it gone too far? Is it time to get out? Mate, we don't tend to spend a lot of time covering stocks we've sold because we kind of tend to focus our attention. Do you have a view on Redbubble though, the stock? Yeah, so Redbubble was in pro. We sold it actually in pro and then you know, it was also held in uh, EO. We have sold it in EO as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't actually looked at its recent results. Mm-hmm. My rationale for selling at that point was, well, you know, there are a couple of things like they were not getting growth. So the couple of things that were worrying us mm. was they were not getting growth of the Red Bubble Bubble Core brand, and that had got something to do with you know in the other mm. episode mm. we talked about uh, antitrust and Google, and this was got to, uh, got a lot to do with SEO and you know uh, yeah. search and organic search results not you know coming through and some mm. changes to the um, to the you know the how search results are being shown. Right. Uh, since then, they acquired a company. They had acquired a company called T Public, which um, 
was actually growing fine and didn't have problems with their uh, social. So, you know, so, <laughs> so um, you know, Chief Public was sort of ca- carrying the weight. Then they had a CEO. You know, they had a new. They had a their founder CEO stepped back mm. and become basically chairman and they had a new CEO. Mm. That CEO since has was basically let go or, or resigned. I don't know what happened, but the CEO left. Um, no longer with the company, as they say, euphemistically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they parted ways. Mm. And, you know, and and so there was a lot of things happening there that didn't really say, this is a really highly competitive area. Uh, I know this, the, the shares have done really well <laughs> since we have sold. So there is that. Um, that sucks. Uh, but, I mean, that's part of the game. It is. <laughs> Look, I, I, I don't, haven't followed it that close to have a good view. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, in my mind, it was not, like, I mean, you know, it was not delivering the type of growth I was looking for. And But it has benefited a lot in this pandemic, right? And, you know, people want to buy special things and you mm. can buy these things crafted by for, with artists' mm. designs and so on from Redbubble. So um, how much of that will stay you know, um, over time, mm. unknown. How much, you know, how are they still subservient to um, search results and search optimizations and things like that? Uh, has the problem with the Redbubble platform search results been resolved? I really don't know those because those are the things that I look at. Mm. Um, and then ultimately, it's a question of conviction. If you, con- you know, if you have the conviction to hold, then you should. Um, if you don't have the conviction to hold, then you don't. You know, and that's really it. Nice, mate. I like it. I have no view on Redbubble, mate, other than I'm a convert to their products. I'm, I I hate shopping. Like, I really... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the weirdest unit in the world because I used to work for a grocery company, so I actually like grocery shopping, which I know makes me in the, like, the 0.01% of people who like it, but actually just, it's just something about... I've just... I spent so long in my career doing, you know, grocery-related stuff. I actually like going to the supermarket, but I hate shopping for clothes. So I, have, I buy the same pair of boots online. I buy the same pair of jeans, usually online, and I've now discovered Redbubble, which what I love about this is the designs are different because they get their, their shirts made independently, separately. You can trust the sizing, which is just perfect, right? So you get to basically buy any design shirt you want, but get the same fit. It's brilliant. So I'm wearing a Redbubble shirt now. I, I, I have, in the last little while, I must have bought maybe six Redbubble t-shirts. Um, good thing about working for the Fool is we wear t-shirts a lot. So uh, wearing one now and uh, and I'm a big fan. So there you go. For, as a user, very happy. It just solves a lot of my, my problems in life, which is kind of nice. But uh, you t- trust Doc on the, on the company. I, I haven't looked at it for quite a while. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Uh, let's move on to a question from Boise. Actually, Boise, it's a, again a, a comment rather rather a question, but I'm including it because he said nice things. He says, "G'day, Scott. I enjoyed the Sunday mailbag." And he says, "You got me. I'm going to I'm going full circle. I'm going to rejoin Share Advisor. Good man, thank you." He said, "The conversation around the ASX 300 and Super Direct Investment was great. Well, thanks, Boise. I look forward to having you back inside the fold, mate. Welcome back, like the prodigal son. We will welcome you back with palm leaves and and excitement. Uh, well, it's re- virtually so. So, mate, thank you. Thank you for rejoining. And welcome back." I was, I was going to say I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> the, the palm leaves. <laughs> the I, don't palm. Know, I don't know. I get palm leaves around here, mate. It's That's pretty, exactly what I was thinking. The eucalyptus everywhere, but not a lot of palm. I might, I might struggle and with that. And you can't travel to get palm, so, <laughs> exactly. so I think you're out of luck here. And just quite a matter of love, Boise, but I'm not traveling to get palm leaves. Uh, thanks, Boise. Love you. Uh, mate, if, if you needed palm leaves, I, I'm not going to be able to help you there, but um, I trust just being inside the warm embrace of Share Advisor again is enough. At least I hope so. <laughs> All right, Christian from Sebastian, mate. He says, hi, Scott and Doc. I love the podcast. Good man, Sebastian. Now, can I say two? Our, our listeners, our correspondents are letting us down a little bit. We used to get lots of completely unnecessary and over-the-top praise. Mm. Seems to have died away recently. That's not true. I don't think they realize how big our egos are. 
This is not nice. Yeah. I'm saying to you people, is if you can, just look, Sebastian's done the right thing. Loves the podcast. That's mm. nice. You could lift your game, correspondence. If you want your questions answered, just make an effort, will you? All right. He says, I recently heard you answering questions on selling small amounts of shares. I use CMC Markets as a $500 minimum buy, but I've sold some losers on less of less than $500. So there you go. He's also, the brokers are only 11 bucks on ASX and you can trade internationally for free. Just thought this info would help some listeners looking for brokerage options. I've used them for a while now and love it. They were using Bank West for the cash account, which had small fees, but they are changing to ANZ cash accounts, which they have said will be zero fees associated with the account. He says, P.S., the way you do your podcasting conversation form really works for me. I seem to retain information easier with these style podcasts. Sebastian. Well, thank you, Sebastian. Thanks for the kind words and thank you for that information that might help our listeners. If you're new to the podcast or you didn't see that episode or we hear it, uh, we had a, a listener who said, look, I've, I've lost, I lost a lot of money. Uh, my parcel is now so small. You know, can I sell it? Um, I did suggest they, that he get in touch with his broker. We don't know whether that worked or not, but Sebastian said that he's been able to sell smaller parcels on CMC. So there you go. Um, all right, next question, mate, comes from well, the the it's a Twitter account and Holden's S five L. I'm not sure if that's a five liter or a Holden SS five L. Actually, I'm going to show that's Holden SS five liter is what I'm going with. So let, let's let me know if I got that right, Holden. Um, I think I probably did. All right, he says I'm 38 and my wife is 37. You guys keep us motivated and focused. Most of our gains are through our financial input, but we both dream of and look forward to the day when compounding starts to really take over and dwarf our contributions. Like most, I wish I didn't waste my money on cars, etc. which is funny for a bloke with a, um, with a handle of Holden SS. Um, um, was a, <laughs> wish I didn't waste money on my cars in my early 20s, but at least, although not starting till mid-30s, we started before we were too old to let compounding work its magic. That's a really important point. Now, this is what I liked most about this one, mate. I have three teenage apprentices here. I've talked them into buying shares mostly ETFs. I tell them they are so young and have so many years of compounding ahead of them, they don't even need to get fancy. They just need to add a little bit regularly, which I do. <laughs> Who do I sound like? Ha ha. I think he means me. Um, I show them the compound calculator and just following the market. Their eyes light up. Wish someone had showed me the same when I was young. And Eban says that 12 years is where the magic starts. Although I don't want to wish my life away, it is something I do look forward to seeing coming to fruition. So there you go, mate. A nice bit of feedback from Holden. Hopefully a bit of motivation for our listeners. If you're listening to this and you haven't yet started, take Holden's advice, take Doc's advice. Make sure you're getting into the market. Add regularly. Let compounding do the trick. And it won't be too long, mate. Life is going very fast for me, I've got to say. 2000 was 20 years ago. Do you know we're closer now to 2050 than 1990? I didn't think of it. But that, How that, scary is that? That's a little bit depressing. <laughs> it's kind of exciting, except like by the time I get there, I'll be an old man. So <laughs> take take Holden's advice. If you're young and listening to this, please, for the love of God, I'm incredibly jealous of anyone who's young enough to really let compounding do its thing if they start now. So please take Holden's advice, take my advice, take Doc's advice. And Doc's reminder that it only takes about 12 years till you really start seeing the value of compounding start to really juice your return. So get going, please. And Holden, thank you for the, um, thank you for the, the message. We appreciate it. All right, got another one, mate, from, this one's from Dave, who says, Hi, Captain. Thank you for the Right of Reply episode with Superhero. The fact you brought him onto the show to have an open conversation about what had been mentioned in previous shows and not simply dismiss the service only strengthens my conviction about you and the Motley Fool as to how genuine your services are. Bravo. Well, thank you, mate. It's very kind. We try and do the right thing. Um, I mean, we get nothing. We get a little bit of advertising revenue from this, but we're doing it because we want to help our listeners. Um, that's what the Motley Fool exists for, right? We could be, you know, shiny bum bankers in, in big, 
office tower somewhere but we're not um, in part because we love what we do we love our company but more importantly we love helping our members achieve their financial goals so mate thank you for that really appreciate it anyway he says when listening to your comments about the push to low cost brokerage and how this could lead to some investors becoming too active in the market to their own detriment I think it's valid and will definitely have those consequences for some he says would you not agree that overall low cost brokerage could assist smaller mum and dad investors such as myself to make more regular incremental investments which in the long run makes a considerable difference i say this as i found myself doing this with the likes of comsec pocket i've recently set up an account for my newborn son in my name nice work and congratulations too dave on the new on the newborn but more congratulations probably because your wife probably did the work more congratulations on setting up the account mate for from in his in your name he'll he'll uh, he'll do very nicely out of that he says i have put a five grand in NASDAQ and make fortly deposit, fortnightly deposits of 100 bucks. The low cost of Comsec Pocket makes this viable and ensures I make regular incremental payments. Whereas with individual shares in my Comsec account, I have to wait to save up a few hundred or thousand dollars to add to positions to make it worthwhile. Otherwise, I'd be giving 10 bucks away in brokerage on a $100 trade. This is in brackets, that's 10%. For all the negatives of overtrading by some, um, he asks a question which I won't go into. Uh, would there not be a net positive of encouraging smaller, more regular investments? We'd love to hear a conversation on this again if you could fit this into the mailbag. He says, thank you and sorry for the long message. Dave, don't apologize for the long message, mate. That's an awesome message. You asked the right questions and I'm super excited for you, your young bloke and your family, that you're getting him started on the right foot. And I'm also really glad that you're taking advantage of the likes of Comsec Pocket. Now, Doc, I don't know if we'll spend much time on this one because Dave's made a really compelling case. This is roughly, without putting words in your mouth, your view on this one. It's actually my view as well. And I think this is where, um, you know, I absolutely have always said there are absolutely positives and negatives. Um, I would love a I would love a brokerage service to charge zero dollars to buy and fifty bucks to sell or something. You know, I think getting people into shares is super super useful um, to the extent it stops. My main issue is the frequency of trading that it potentially encourages. But Dave, you're dead right, and Doc has made this point as well. You, you guys are dead right. There is absolutely advantages for those who can use it well, and that's like all of these things. It's always a balance. You can't find a solution that suits everybody. Um, I've had the same conversation on Twitter recently about vertical integration of financial services, for example. Uh, and, you know, is it better that the banks are forced to sell off wealth management? I think so. But as one of my Twitter correspondents said, that's true, but maybe people don't do it because they don't trust names they don't know, whereas they might trust Comsec or Westpac or, or you know, NAB or something else. So there are always going to be puts and takes. I completely agree. Um, and I love Comsec Pocket, by the way. I don't include Pocket in my concerns about this. So I would actually separate those out and say, for mine, Pocket is fantastic. Largely because it's ETF based, largely because it doesn't you know encourage you to overtrade, um, and it makes super easy, super cost effective, low cost, which is cost effective uh, reinvestment options and, and regular investment options. We I frankly completely love. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Doc, I think Dave's pretty much captured your thoughts. But do you want to add anything to that? No, I think yeah. Like I mean, it's basically you know zero dollars makes a democratization of uh, investing possible absolutely and yeah i wouldn't mind actually if somebody said it's zero dollars to buy and said twenty dollars to sell yeah. um you know and if i that, would join I, I would i'll put it down now i will change my brokerage to the first reputable broker that offers that there you go as a promise it's not going to help anyone but you know i'll do that tomorrow if someone said to me tomorrow come and join my broker that's chess sponsored that gives you zero dollars to buy 20 bucks to sell i'll join tomorrow you I don't care much about chess, you know that. So. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> All so. right. 
Dave, really, really great question, mate. And again, super, super excited. Thank, thanks for taking the time. You're dead right. Um, and thanks for thanks for taking the time to let us know, and also for getting your son started, as I said. Question from Dan, mate. Now I've got to, I'm going to frame this one up. I don't think we can help him much here, but uh, but I, I do have a couple of thoughts. He says, "Hi, Scott and Doc. Love the podcast. I'm writing from across the Dutch. I'm, I'm a ditch. Sorry, he says. I just went into my QA exit then. <laughs> sorry, mate. I have a tax question for you both. I invest in the U.S. stock market using a New Zealand-based platform. I'm not sure how the tax works in Australia." But we have FIF rules. That's foreign investment fund rules. Now, I had no idea about this, Doc. He says, any overseas investments over $50,000 are taxed at the lower of either 5% of the value of your shares or the actual total return on your portfolio for the tax year, but get this, including movements in value. I had no idea about this. He says, to me, this seems like a lot of tax every year and is therefore a huge disincentive to invest over 50 grand overseas. I believe the opportunities are better in the US than just investing in New Zealand or the ASX, but with the high tax, is it better to just stay investing in New Zealand or Australia? What are your thoughts? He then asks a bonus question. Are there any New Zealand businesses you'd consider investing in at the moment? Thank you for answering. Kind regards, Dan. Now, Doc, I... I initially thought I've got no idea how I'm going to answer this question I even considered not answering it at all because you know there's no point us just talking not answering the one thing I did think so I, th- I think it's an awful system except we have to remember our Kiwi customers don't pay capital gains tax so there is some this is almost like a reverse dividend to some degree right they're being forced to pay tax on the carrying value of their portfolio at about 5% a year or the lower off so if you made even more money you've got to pay some of that the good news for them at least is there's no capital gains tax on selling. So initially my thought was if I was a Kiwi, and again, we can't give tax advice specifically, but if I was a Kiwi, I'd probably be inclined to say, you know what, I'll give the US and Australia a miss, uh, sorry, the US a miss, I'll stay in New Zealand and Australia, there's enough companies there to not be slugged that tax. On the other hand, I thought to myself, well, 5% kind of sucks, but if I have to pay that every year and I'm getting more than that, and if I not pay capital gains tax on selling, then I'm not sure I wouldn't do it. So I'll give you an example. If I let's make a it's going to be a simple, you know, over the top example. If I invest hundred bucks and I double money in a year, that'd be two hundred bucks, right? I have to pay ten dollars in tax, which kind of sucks. Except that's still only ten dollars in tax. If I made that money in Australia as an Australian citizen, for example, I'd have to pay somewhere between fifteen and thirty dollars in tax. And so, you know, does it suck? Yes, <laughs> absolutely and outright. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily, you know, if I had to do that plus pay capital gains tax, I, you couldn't make me do it. But I also thought that from a, for a New Zealander investing in the US, for example, they actually may pay less tax than we do, even with that rule in place. The hard parts there are they may be forced to sell every year to free up some funds to pay that tax, which is kind of painful. And of course, in a bad year, if you lose money, you're also forced possibly to sell even at a loss because you have to pay the minimum of 5% of your assets or the uh, value of the gain. So there's some downside there, but it's not as black and white as I first thought. Let me let me ask you the question and maybe put yourself in, in one of our Kiwi listeners' shoes. If you're in New Zealand and you had to pay that tax rate, would you still invest in the US or would you kind of look at that and go, the, the extra cost is just, it, it, it pivots the balance too much and I might put more money in Australia or New Zealand? So like the way you phrased it, I mean, it's a basically 5%. It's it's a 5% cost on the assets under management, right? Yes, exactly. That's um, right. It's pretty high, but there's no it's other extraordinary. tax. Extraordinary. Um, right, exactly. So, I mean, if you're compounding at 25%, right. I'd pay it. Do you <laughs> so, reckon you can make regularly 5% more? So, again, here's the capital gains tax in Australia and New Zealand at all, because Australia is exempt from this rule. So, he's going to look at this and say, I've got to make effectively 5% more per annum 
to make investing in the US worthwhile. That's a that's a very, very high bogey for me. I'm not sure that I would be confident enough. Like, is it possible? Yes. Am I, am I confident enough to invest in the US given that rule? I don't think I am, mate. But but do you have a different view? Um, I think, again, it depends. Like, I mean, again, depends on how... Uh, so, you, you would not... I guess, yeah. So, you would not pay any tax on NZ investments, is That's it? That's the thing, or Australian investments. So, Australia is excluded. I, I did a quick look. Yeah, again, Australia, so it's ANZ. not tax advice, right? Yeah. Um, but I did have a look. So, all ASX stocks are now excluded. They used to be just some listings. So, anything in New Zealand, everything in Australia is capital gains tax-free for Kiwis, mm. and there's no foreign investment fund tax. Versus, Australia, versus the US, where you have to pay that minimum of the 5% or the um, uh, the total return, calculated, sorry, on... Or 5% of the value of the shares or 5% of the return of the portfolio. Tough, huh? 5% return of the so portfolio. It's the lower of the two. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, if, so if you're- it's 5% a year effectively is what we so can So if your portfolio returned 20%, you're going to pay 5% of that? The lower of the two, apparently. Oh, okay. So yeah. I, again, it's not, not tax. We shouldn't give tax advice specifically, but it just it just struck me that, I don't know, given the circumstance, I don't, I don't think- I, I love investing in the US. I think all Australian investors should. I reckon given those relative differences between the two, I think I'd stay in the ASX. You know what I would do? I would just buy some ETFs. There you <laughs> go. Provide, provide they, yeah, they should be they should be excluded. I assume because the ETFs trade on, yeah, the, yeah, the, on, on the local market, right? So I mean, they may be excluded because of international assets. All I'm mindful of. But again, pl- please, um, da- yeah, Dan, yeah. please check, mate. We we can't give advice. Um, it's yeah, interesting. I think, I think yeah, if, if ETFs excluded, huh. I think that's probably a great way to do it. You buy ASX stocks, maybe you buy a couple of international ETFs to yeah. give you that diversification. It, yeah, it's a very interesting rule. <laughs> Anyway, there you go. So sorry we can't help you directly, Dan, but that's probably how we'd think about it. Um, you want to make sure that relative to the options you've got, um, again, as we've said in previous podcasts, right, don't invest in the US just because it's the US. Don't invest in or don't not invest in Australia or New Zealand because it's there. Um, look at the potential gains or returns from both and make your decision on that basis. Um, also fair, you can do up to 50 grand without it. So I would, again, as you build your portfolio, work out how much makes sense, but um, there may still be some value in doing a bit of both to the extent that the tax rules make it worthwhile. Any New Zealand questions you love, mate? To dance oh, well, we, you know, a couple of them we have, like um, a Zero. Oh, zero is no longer trading in New Zealand. Right? No, New Zealand company, but no longer trading there. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And Volpara is a, is a New Zealand company. Australasian company, I'd like to remind you. Well, Australasian company. <laughs> founded in New Zealand that trades on the ASX. Australasian. Um, <clears throat> like Farlap and Russell Crowe, mate. <laughs> we'll, we'll, so, we'll, we'll claim them. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Yeah, A2 Milk. I quite like A2 Milk. Actually, A2 was on the end of my mind. Yeah, yeah. A2 is is a, is a really good company. It's had a little bit of a mm. uh, wobble of late, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I like A2. Fisher and Paykel Healthcare. Do you have you looked at those? I haven't actually looked at Fisher. It's okay. yeah. I like Fisher and Paykel Health. All right. I hope that helps, Dan. Uh, let's go to Tim's question. Now we've got a, we've got a challenge to help Tim with, mate. So I'd be fascinated to hear your response to this one. Tim says, "Hi, Scott and Doc. Love the podcast." And he says, on Sunday, my mate Nick and I will be driving home to Sydney from Orange and listening to the mailbag to pass the time. Now, Tim, can I say, you had me at the first bit. When we say to pass the time, it makes me think you would be listening to it except you're really, really bored, which doesn't exactly make me feel great, Tim. <laughs> so just, you know, as I said before, we're, we're all people, we've got feelings. Don't you mean we're listening to the mailbag because we love it and we really want to, you know, we walk over hot coals, which so happens we're also driving home from Orange? No. Okay. Well, it's it's not bad. I mean, you know, they could be listening to music. <laughs> they could right. be, you know, uh, so we're slightly to, better than the than the orange radio station. Well, they could listen to George Michael. They could listen to Michael Jackson. They could listen to whoever else they wanted to. They're listening to you. You should be happy. Poor bastards. <laughs> <laughs> All right. George Michael, or you? I George Michael every time. 
<laughs> Definitely not me. I, that's what I said. You know, you want to compete with George Michael. I'm not competing with George I, Michael. I, I have no chance. <laughs> so. Now what, Doc? You just got to have faith. I have just it, no chance. I can't, can't have any faith with George Michael. Like, I mean, come on. Like, this, it's not a right. competition. Shall we move on? Yeah. He says, as avid weekly listeners, there you go, he's redeemed himself. There's something we've been wondering for a while now. What happens to the voting rights for individual companies when an ETF, market maker or fund manager, purchases the underlying assets to compose those ETFs? Do these rights transfer to the market maker or manager? In other words, let's say, say Vanguard for the sake of the exercise. And if so, is there a risk that as the ETFs grow in popularity and size, that in this example, Vanguard would have significant voting rights for ASX 300 companies as the custodian of the shares in companies which comprise the ETFs? He says, could this be problematic? Hopefully you can settle this one and make our long drive a little bit more interesting. Keep up the great, in brackets, not personal, advice, Tim. So Tim's paying attention. We can't give personal advice, but uh, thank you, mate, and thank you for the compliments. Um, other than the past the time bit, which I'll, I'll give you a free pass on. Um, Doc, if Vanguard buys the shares and puts them in an ETF, do they get to vote the shares? You know what? I actually don't know the answer for this one, but I'm guessing Vanguard actually is able to um, vote them in. I mean, um, yep. so... Is that a pro actually? It's not a problem in my view. Vanguard has a great tracker of doing the right thing when it yeah, comes to vo yeah. voting. They also collaborate. I think most of the big um, ETF providers collaborate with you know proxy houses and yeah. and to you know pass various resolutions mm -hmm. and things like that. So they can actually do some activism if they wanted to, um, which might be actually good. Yep, that's true. So yes, the ETF managers do retain the rights. I have heard of a couple of circumstances in which some kind of new up and coming funds have elected to make those rights kind of, you know, a sum total of what their investors are doing. I think that's a really, it's a gutsy call. I think most of their investors, small investors who don't want to think about it anyway. So I don't know that'll work necessarily, but for some people, if they love that. I guess you could search those out. Um, I think I think you're right, mate. Look, so I'll, I'll go to your question, Tim, about could this be problematic and, and try and answer that hypothetically as well as my own concern or my own thoughts. So could it be problematic? Yes. In some circumstances, depending on your worldview, depending on Vanguard's worldview, depending on the, the size of their stake and what it means for the rest of the votes, there are absolutely circumstances in which it could hypothetically be problematic. If, for example, Vanguard took a view on an environmental or social issue that you disagreed with, doesn't make them right or wrong, by the way, but you may find it problematic if you own shares in a Vanguard ETF and they're voting for wind farms and you're voting against them or you want to vote for them, they want to vote against them, whatever it is. Um, is that problematic? I guess, again, if you if that's your kind of mind, mindset and worldview, then yes, that could be problematic. Um, could it be problematic in the sense that if they owned 10, 15% of a company and therefore those available votes as a percentage make a larger chunk. In other words, if they don't vote them or vote them differently, that could swing the result. Yes, absolutely. That could also do, do that. And as Doc said, they do tend to work closely with proxy advisors to um, to take a view on these things. But yeah, you know, if problematic means could they be you know important, impactful players in this? Yes, absolutely. For that being said, they tend to be pretty passive as investors, both literally buying the shares because it's a passive investment vehicle, but also as as owners of those uh, of those um, of those funds and the way they vote them. They tend not to vote strongly against the companies they're, they're invested in. And I kind of think that makes some sense, right? Because if you think about you're buying a passive index investment, you're buying shares indirectly in say BHP and Combank and Telstra and CSL in those proportions because you want that proportional ownership, not because you want a view on what should happen to those companies' shares necessarily, right? You're, you're, you're trying to buy the, the ASX 200 
it kind of makes sense. I, I wouldn't actually have a problem if the index managers abstain from these votes, just almost by definition, because they are passive investments. Uh, so look, is it problematic? Could it be? Yes. Is it likely to be? I don't think so. I don't see where it's a problem. They tend to be pretty conservative, pretty, you know, standard kind of guys. I think it's a, they're a safe pair of hands, generally speaking. Vanguard, my preference, and BlackRock, another option. Um, uh, ETF Australia is another, another group. Um, I, you know, I, I think if you saw them start to vote actively and you kind of had a dislike of that, you can make some different thoughts to take some different positions but you know is that any different from i don't know nab nominees uh, as the as the you know shareholder of record for for bhp or something else making that vote probably not is it different to a controlling shareholder another company making that vote probably not i think these guys are likely to be the good guys in in the room far 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 more often than not doc any additional thoughts on that one i have nothing to add very good and my question one from gary and i like them we've talked about this before and i thought we'd come back to it gary says hi scott i've got a question for the podcast I'm looking at an ETF for overseas NASDAQ 100 through beta shares. He says they offer currency hedged option to reduce fluctuations in the currency rate. What are your thoughts on this option? Can it affect your returns if you're reducing risk in currency fluctuations? Also, can you hear your thoughts on dividend reinvestment programs? Sorry, you have covered this in previous, you may have covered this in previous podcasts. I'm only new to investing and just started listening to your podcast in the last couple of months. Great podcast, by the way. You're a good man, Gary. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, let's do each of those in turn, Doc. So we did talk about a little bit a little while ago about the NASDAQ 100 ETF option through beta shares. They have a, an unhedged and a hedged option. Now, for those who are new to this, hedging basically is uh, a trade that the manager makes to effectively eliminate currency fluctuations. They buy effectively insurance so that whatever happens to the currency – um, that doesn't impact the underlying value of the assets. You, you know, it's an insurance policy, right? The, they, 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 the money means nothing if it goes one way and they make money if it goes the other way. Um, but either way, their job or their, their intent is that your return over, say, 12 months is just the return of the underlying ETF or the index in this case, sorry, not the currency benefit. Now, that can have benefits and drawbacks. If the currency goes your way, you can make a lot of money. If it goes against you, you can lose a lot of money. And Gary's saying, wouldn't you just hedge to make sure all you, all you got was the return of the index agnostic of what happened to the currency. Doc, what do you reckon? Um, so I, I'm i not a big fan of trying to hedge the currency one with the other. I mean, ideally, if it's an ETF, right, you're buying over a period of time. If you're buying, you know, over a period of time, you're basically getting dollar cost averaging, right. not just into the asset, but also into the currency. Yeah, yeah. Right, and... And then currency can actually work in your favor, right? So if the Australian dollar falls, you actually get the benefit of that. And if mm. the Australian dollar rises, you you know you don't get the benefit. But then you can think of it a couple of different ways, right? You the Australian dollar is rising, you can buy more shares effectively, right? But the Australian dollar is falling, your value value goes up. So I mean, there's mm. some natural, um, you know hedging that's happening d- dynamically yeah, well, yeah, almost by, 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 by way of portfolio construction it is, yeah. the inclusion of it is in itself its own hedge right yeah inclusion inclusion in it so if typically you know when we do this at at pro for example that you if you have um an australian company in your portfolio which which again there's a little bit of a nuance here that if the if the primarily the business is in australia mm. right then a weaker currency typically means a weaker economy typically means that that company is not going to be doing well but then you know the other one is actually hedging even if everything right. all else being equal just the fact that the currency has pulled back helps right so you know uh, for, yeah so like mm. um during this COVID crisis, for example, right? If you had NASDAQ 100, well, NASDAQ did fall. 
our currency also actually tumbled, and therefore it, it softens the blow at some time at right, that time. Exactly. So again, this is not this is not like super critical, but you know, if mm. you're trying to mm. smooth out some volatility while mm. actually not compromising on anything, that's a interesting way to get that is via um, via an ETF that provides you this sort of exposure. So no, I'm not going to try to hedge out. I mean, the, I guess. The exception might be if you're like you know holding these assets and you're close to retirement and you want to spend your money here, then there mm-hmm. might be some case. I don't know that's like very specific instances yeah, where yeah. that might. I mean, hedging has its use, of course, but broadly speaking, I'm not a big fan. I tend to agree with you, mate. The only time I probably would. So the yeah, and the other thing is hedging is costly, right? It, you know, I talk about it being insurance. You have to pay a premium, and so to some degree, you can't possibly get the ETF return or the index return, I should say. If you're hedging, you must get the index return less the hedging cost. And so by definition, you're already starting behind the eight ball whenever you're choosing a hedged strategy versus unhedged. Now, again, a bit like a bit like investing in thirds that we talked about earlier in small amounts. Um, if you're someone who's nervous about that and just wants less volatility, that might be a price you're prepared to pay, and that's okay. Um, so if you're that sort of investor and you just don't want to deal with the, the currency hedging, then that's cool, completely cool. Um, what we're saying, I think, is that generally speaking, we'd happily accept the volatility because you'd have to pay the hedging insurance premium. Uh, and that's, you know, again, insurance, you get a big payout at some point. This insurance doesn't give you anything. In fact, it gives you exactly nothing. That's what it's designed to do. So it literally is a losing, the entire thing's a losing deal. Um, and that's okay if you want to do that. I, I, I'm with Doc, I wouldn't do it. I think um, you're already getting so much share price volatility to try and hedge just one, not the other. It almost feels a little bit... Um, uh, yeah, it feels a little bit strange to me to go. Yeah, I'll accept the share price volatility, but not the currency volatility. Uh, if you're if accepting share price volatility, you're kind of you know all in on that game. There is one exception, and and the exception would be I would probably look to a hedged investment if I was putting money in. I'd happily dollar cost average the rest of the time. By the way, to Doc's point, but if the dollar was extreme in one direction or the other, and in this case, if the dollar was particularly low, um, as it if and when it except the dollar fell to forty five cents, for example, right, and you want to buy the Nasdaq ETF you are going to get your backside handed to you because if the dollar goes from 45 back to 65, you're going to lose, what is that, half your, half your money, a third of your money, sorry, on the way up um, because the currency just recovers to some sort of normal level. And in that case, buying unhedged at 45 cents would be a little bit nuts, I think. And Doc, you may actually disagree, but oh, so I'll let you say whether you do or not. Um, but you know, in that case, when it's really extreme at one end, I absolutely wouldn't. Um, I would hedge because I just think, you know, there's volatility and then there's just buying at terrible prices. It's like saying, well, I think Woolies is 40. I'll buy I'll dollar cost average on Woolies even when the share price gets to 85. At some point, you'd be like, I could, but buying Woolies at 85 bucks doesn't seem very smart. Even if it gets to that point, I still like the business, sure, but I want to buy 85 bucks, probably not. And so from an index perspective, you know, when, when the dollar's movements are extreme, it's very, very hard for it not to be a meaningful detractor in this case from your returns in the flip side if the dollar was a dollar ten as it was i'd be shoveling as much money into my hedge nasdaq ecf as i could find uh, if you get to exchange your dollars at more than a buck historically that's been a really good trade so i uh, take that so yeah look i absolutely unhedged almost all the time dollar cost averaging as doc says as long as you can dollar cost average back out and again as you mentioned mate um you know if you're forced to take money out of, at a given time and you're reliant on the currency being at the right level at that point you may, again, for personal financial reasons, want to make sure you're not going to be hurt by currency if you're forced to sell at some arbitrary absolute date that you can't change. In that case, I probably wouldn't be buying um, shares anyway, and certainly probably not US shares, just because you, you don't want to be a victim to both the share price movements and the currency movements if you're an absolute arbitrary date. But otherwise, yeah, unhedged all the way, except when there's extreme currency movements in this case, um, because we're Australians investing in the US. If the dollar was super low, I'd probably hedge at that point. Any additional ones on that, Doc? I have nothing to add. All right, last question. We got uh, Alexander Snuck under the wire, mate. Uh, <laughs> he's even got a hashtag you'll like, so let's go with this one. He says, hi, Scott and Doc. This is via email. I'm a recent new member. Thank you, mate. And I love the podcast. It's one of the most entertaining learning experiences that I know. 
Alexander clearly only knows one learning experience, which is fine. It's ours, so that's good. Thank you, Alexander. In recent months on a superannuation podcast, you mentioned that in general, we should look to maximize our personal super contributions before investing any money into the stock market. Now, I'm going to put a parenthesis around this. I think I'm sure he means... Um, we're saying you should invest your personal super into the stock market as well. He's just separating out the personal name, i.e., you know, Scott Phillips as opposed to Scott Phillips Super Fund, right? So um, he's saying, you know, uh, we should maximize our personal super contributions before putting money into the money into the stock market in a personal account, as it would be hard for the personal returns to beat super fund returns because of the tax concessions. The average Aussie earns eighty-five grand, meaning that employer would likely pay eight grand into super. To follow your advice means the average Aussie should then proceed to put seventeen grand into super to max out the $25,000 cap. That makes sense. 8 plus 17 is 25. Can I please clarify I'm hearing you right? <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that was that was said with an upwards inflection um, of, of incredulity. Have, have I made a mistake somewhere? I don't know about other average Aussies out there, but personally I expect this 17 grand would be close to, if not all, the discretionary income I would have to invest. I've been reluctant to write in and ask this because I've really enjoyed listening, uh, investing and learning and I'm scared this will mean that the most rational thing to do would be to stop and put it into super. How boring. Thanks in advance. Hashtag let doc live. I thought you'd like that one, mate. <laughs> I love and it. And that's from Alexander. A really, really good question, mate. Mm-hmm. So let's let's break it down a little bit. Um, so first things first, we're not saying everyone should have 25 grand free to put in super. So when we say maximize the contributions. We're saying, or I'm saying, or maybe you might want to disagree. We're just simply saying... If you have spare cash around to invest, putting it in the superannuation structure rather than your own name makes more sense. I'm not saying everyone should have 25 grand to invest, just to be really, really clear. I don't think that's what Alexander's saying, but just in case he is or that's how our listeners are perceiving it, we're saying you know, extra money should go into super first up to that cap if you've got it. So that's what we're saying. Um, and he's saying, well, hang on, 15 grand, man, that's you know 1,500 bucks a month. That's probably close to if not all the discretionary income he's got to invest. And he really, really doesn't want to put it in a super because that's boring. I get that idea, Doc, but um, are we right or is Alexander right? Well, like, I mean, um, well, you you need to live your life, so there's that. Um, oh, yeah, you need to live your life, so there's that. Sorry, I was moving my mic away, which was um, uh, unintended. We, we, we spent a lot of time this morning on different calls and, and, and podcasts, mate. You're uh, doing exceptionally well. Yeah, so... Um, Look, I, I think the thing is that you want to try to maximize what I think Scott is saying. Maximize as much as you can. Um, there, you know, there's, there's caveats to all sorts of things, right? So, I mean, you can maximize super. The one thing to remember with super is that super is um, government mandated. There are rules around it. So once you put yep. it in, you can't take it out. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. uh, uh, you can take it out if the government has rules that yep. says you can take them out. Um, <laughs> but once you put it in, you can't take it out, which means if you had this you know, so if, if you are investing now and in 15, 10 years' time you want to buy a house using that money, you can't. Uh, whereas if you have it on your own name, you can. So there's all mm-hmm. sorts of little caveats there. But yeah, in general, super is very tax advantage. It's a really beautiful yeah. scheme if you think about the tax you're paying on it. And, you know, and because, and the other thing is really, there's a there's a psychological aspect as well because you can't touch that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, once it's in, <laughs> you're unlikely to disturb it, which uh, addresses one of the biggest drawbacks that we have, which mm-hmm. is, as, 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 as we, like we all have it, is the int- our intent of doing something, spending it, uh, spending on stuff that we don't need. <laughs> yeah, so all right. those things, really, it's just preventing mm-hmm. us from doing that. And, um, and that's an advantage, really. Like, I mean, that's the big advantage that you get out of it. And mm-hmm. therefore, you can have uninterrupted compounding for 
decades, right? Mm-hmm. And then that is really powerful. So I think that super is really, really superb asset. And all we are saying is, I think that's nothing. This is pretty general advice to say that mm-hmm. maximize as much as you possibly can, without, of course, you know, killing yourself. You don't want to kill yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> in the process. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. I think it's really good advice, man. So here's the thing, Alexander. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. So a bit of tough love, dude. Uh, first thing I say, first is investing is not supposed to be not boring in, or, or necessarily fun. Now, can, you can make it fun. Um, investing in companies is fun. Doing business analysis is fun. Understanding how businesses work is fun. That's why Doc and I do it. Like so, so the the concept behind investing is fun, but it's not supposed to be sport. It's not supposed to be something you kind of you know you you, you play with. And as Doc said, being able to let yourself invest for the long term is really what this is about. And if you Frankly, the, the benefits of actually having it locked away are far, far greater than most people, maybe even everyone, almost everyone realizes. Um, we all want to be active. We all want to do something with our money. We all want to, all those things, right? Makes sense. Um, what if I want to buy this and sell that, buy this and sell that? Generally speaking, super will save most of us from ourselves. And that's really honest, right? So is it boring? Yes. Is that good? Yes. Really honestly, yes. <laughs> so just be just be a little bit careful about the the concept of you know um, wanting it to be exciting, wanting it to be interesting, or, or you know um, don't check your brokerage account, walk away, um, put it somewhere where you can't touch it. Those things are really 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 good. I mentioned earlier the average fund investor loses to the average fund. That's not easy. Like you've got you got to work at that, right? If you left your money there, and fund by the way also generally underperforms the index. So you got this like double whammy, right? Not only do the funds lose to the index, the fund investor loses to the fund. It's like the worst of all worlds. And it's because people trade in and out too frequently. They get too active. So be careful with that. Um, so yes, put in super. The tax advantage of super, by the way, even if, it, even if, so psychologically, that'd be enough of a benefit for me to say put it in super. But it's far more than that. It's psychologically and it's financially so much better. Um, the tax rates are much lower inside super. So firstly, it's a concessional contribution. You save on tax. Secondly, when you earn money inside super, it's tax advantaged. Thirdly, at the moment at least, and Doc's right, the government could change the rules. So I'll say this with a caveat. At the moment, if you take money out in pension phase for up to the first $1.6 million worth of assets, it's completely tax-free. Free, 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 like free, free. Plus the moment you get Frankie credits as well. So there's no tax and Frankie credit benefits. You can't get that outside super, right? And the money there, I've not done the numbers, but I would speculate the returns are probably closer to double um, at retirement than they would be if compared to what they would be if you do it in your own name. Now that... Is that boring? Maybe. Is that worth it? Absolutely. <laughs> Please be bored. Please be more bored. The more bored you can be, the richer you'll be. If that's not worth it, you know, think about future future Alexander. Uh, when you're spending money on your private yacht and drinking, you know, champagne, eating caviar, uh, and you think, you know what, it was actually worth being bored in 2020 because it kind of worked out okay. So there's that. Um, last thing I'll say, mate, is that's all true. If you want to, if you're in super. Uh, the superstructure doesn't have to be boring, right? So we've talked about already, um, someone mentioned about the net wealth product that lets you invest inside super, but you can direct share trade with almost anything on the ASX. So there are ways that super doesn't have to be boring. It's untouchable, but you can make the same trades in your super account if you find the right structure or almost the same trades as if you weren't in super at all. And so again, those benefits are really real and you can find ways of doing that. Now, some people, it's just an Australian super account, ASX 300 plus some ETFs. That's not going to get you in many of your stocks, unfortunately. Um, it won't get you a sum of mine, but most of mine are in the 300. Um, and that's not ideal. But man, I, I would do it in a heartbeat for the, for the you know, it's a bit like the question about the New Zealand tax system. You know, the, the sheer benefit of the superannuation tax concessions are so huge. You can afford to do much worse in your own, you know, in super than you can in your own personal account, or much worse than you could otherwise have done if you had different stocks. So I want you to buy EO, use that for your personal account. I want you to buy SA, um, but you know, more more than that, 
neither Doc nor I would say buy our services and get a worse return than you can get if you did something different. So go with super. Um, leave it alone if you can. If you want to do something with it, find a super structure that lets you still buy and sell those shares. And in NetWealth's case, and it sounds like some others, um, there may be some other options that let you do exactly that just with it inside the structure. So no restriction on what you can buy or sell or few restrictions, um, but you get the full tax advantages. And that's that's a win-win in my book. That's, you know, you, you get to, you get a better result uh, and you get to do, trade the shares you want. And that feels like a win to me. Any more on that, Doc? Uh, I have nothing to add. That's it, mate. We're done. We've come to the end of our special bonus. Surprise? No. Sunday mailbag edition. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that. Do it via Twitter at Anirban Mahanti, at TMF Scott P, at The Motley Fool AU. Hit us up on the Instagram. Doc's not there yet, but you never know. By this time next week, maybe. No, probably not. Um, at TMF Scott P, again, is mine, at The Motley Fool AU. And on Facebook, at The Motley Fool Australia and at Scott Phillips Money. There are our accounts. And of course, if you want some good, solid, honest investment advice, and so far, so good, market beating, go to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. That's SA for Share Advisor. It's a service I run with Andrew Leggett. We've got a now almost nine year, very close to nine, uh, eight years, sorry, um, market beating track record. And we intend to keep doing it. Past performance is no guarantee, of course, but we are going to do our level best to find the best investment ideas we can and bring them straight to our members every single month. That's what we've done for almost eight years. That's what we're going to keep doing. And we hope to keep beating the market. If you like the idea of that, and we're not necessarily, you know, taking no risk. We're, we're largely looking for growth companies. They tend to be a bit larger than Docs. Um, but, you know, I said by both services, as Doc said before, they're both not cheap, but they're both inexpensive. Very, very, very inexpensive. Some would even say cheap, but I wouldn't because I'm not allowed to anymore. So, according to Doc's mate. So, they're inexpensive. They are so inexpensive that you could probably get both. What would both it cost you? Maybe a coffee and a half a week if you've got both services, I think, Doc. Is that about right? I think, that's, I think that's correct. There you go. Coffee in half a week. Buy SA and EO. Go to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast or fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. Come and join us. Come be part of our merry, merry band of fools. We think you'll be glad you like Boise. We think you'll be glad you did. All right, that does us. But before you go, do one last thing for us. Subscribe to this podcast because that makes sure you'll get the next one as soon as it's ready. Go to Triple M Motley for Money through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app or Podcast One. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating. Five stars would be lovely. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. Don't tattoo it on your body, but do almost anything else to make sure that other people can get the goodness you're listening to right this minute. And of course, don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness, some emails from me, plus some marketing, straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.